Starting in verse 9, it says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual, sexually immoral, nor, nor idolaters, or adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Tyler, uh, for just giving us a great introduction into where we're headed today and next week. And I want to start this morning with a, a quick story uh, over the past year, we've had some plumbing issues with the toilet here at the church. Uh, I'm sorry, ladies. We have two toilets in the, in the ladies' room, and uh, one of them just wouldn't flush, because you'd flush it, and then the tank wouldn't refill. And so we tried to figure out various solutions. We'd jiggle the handle, right? That's all you got to do. Just jiggle it. And, it, and it would sometimes work. And then we'd look inside the tank, and we'd open up the lid, and I'm not a plumber. So I look at that, and... Good. I could translate Revelation before I could figure that thing out. But I start looking at it, and, and, and there was this mechanism on the fill valve, and, and all I had to do was tap it, and the water would start filling the tank back up. Great. Solve the problem. Put the lid back on, walk away. Next person would come in and use the toilet. They'd flush. Boom. The th mechanism gets stuck. Doesn't refill. Toilet's broken, Sean. Fix it. Fantastic. All year, I've been struggling with this. Jiggling the, the mechanism, tightening, adjusting knobs, things like that. Finally, I'm like, we got to find a solution that's going to last, that's going to work. So I print an out-of-order sign, and we'll just put that thing up and close that sucker down for the rest of the eternity, right? Let's just, let's just not use this thing. There's this repeated pattern of where I thought I fixed it, I walk away, the solution didn't work. And finally this week, it finally hit me like, we've got to find something that's really going to work. So I went to Home Depot. I spent a whopping $14.97 and bought a new fill valve. And after five minutes on YouTube, figured out how to be a plumber. I don't know why they charge us so much. YouTube solves it. I went on there, 10 minutes, boom. Filled, done, ladies, you're welcome. It's fixed. No longer. Hallelujah. Right? So that tiny little cramped stall that nobody ever uses is some of you are laughing because you're like, I don't use that toilet. <laughs> Guys are like, what is he talking about? I don't go in that room. You didn't, and you shouldn't. But finally, we found a solution that would last, and it would work. We got to the root of the problem. And you're wondering this morning, how does the toilet have anything to do with my sexuality? <laughs> I think there are times in life where our methods are broken, something is off. And we find ourselves in this repeated pattern of brokenness. We know we should change. We try to change. Our solutions just aren't working. Ten habits to being a healthier person. Five ways to fix your brokenness. Five, three simple steps to being a better person. And we find these solutions and we try and we try and we try. And for Christians, we can find ourselves in these habitual habits of sin and specifically in this theme, we're talking about sexual sin. And we are not exempt from that. We're broken people. 
And there's some of us that walk in on a Sunday morning and we're like, I don't know what to do, Sean. I, I feel like that toilet just stuck in this repeated cycle and it feels a little hopeless. And I just kind of want to put a do not use out of order sign on my life. Like it's just, I'm confused, I'm ashamed, I feel, maybe you relate to this, I feel defeated. Because you're just stuck in this. And the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus will bring us a lasting solution that will bring us life to the fullest. He is the ultimate fill valve replacement. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that later. But the section that we're looking at is the Apostle Paul bluntly calling out the church. Again, let's remember this letter is not intended for the culture. He is not the culture police. He is not the holiness police in his community. He is not talking about people outside of the church that don't believe in Jesus. He's not expecting that somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus to act like Jesus. No, who is he calling out? Us. Christians. Christ followers. Christians who are sitting in this habitual cycle of sin and for whatever reason are not changing. Maybe it's comfort and apathy. Maybe it's excuses. Maybe they've become numb to it. Maybe it's stubbornness. Maybe it's selfishness. You fill in the blank for whatever reason. Maybe it just feels hopeless. I can't, I can't change. This is who I am and how I'm made. There were probably some Christians in that Corinthian church that said, Paul, my, my ticket to heaven is punched, man. Jesus has forgiven me. I am new. I am forgiven. And guess what? Whatever sins I'm going to do tomorrow, Jesus will forgive me. All I got to do is say, Jesus, forgive me. And I get a fresh start. And so Paul says just the opposite. He's kind of calling out their apathetic spirituality in verse 9. He says, do, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is a blunt statement. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not experience the fulfillment of God's kingdom. And we talked about it this summer in a message that at some point in our future, Jesus is coming back. Amen? That's, the, that's a good thing. Jesus is coming back. He's going to fulfill his promises to come back, make a new heaven, new earth. Jesus is going to be king of the world, <laughs> king of eternity. We're going to honor him. We're going to worship him. We're going to follow him. It's going to be incredible. New body, new spirit, all together. Boom! It's going to be the fulfillment of God's kingdom. And Paul's saying, those who are wicked, those who are participating in that wickedness and are living in that brokenness will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a, that's a bold declaration. Because it feels like Paul's judging people, doesn't it? Seems a bit harsh. And I read that statement at first, it kind of gives me this visceral reaction, like, oh, I don't know if I like that. Like, if I said that as a pastor, like, hey, if you're living in sin, you ain't getting into heaven. You ain't going to be there at the future of eternity when God's kingdom comes to fruition. That's, a, that's an abrupt statement, but, but I want us to think about that for a moment. That strong statement is supposed to spark this holy fear of our God. Throughout Scripture, you see this idea of fearing God, which, again, we don't necessarily like that, but Jesus is the king of the kingdom, and we're supposed to honor him, fear him, revere him, submit to him. And sometimes we get so chummy with Jesus. Jesus is my best friend. He's my homeboy. Jesus and me, we're tight. He's going to forgive me of all my sins, and we're good. And we forget that Jesus is my king. So holy fear is not just this, ah, like fear of spiders or fear of death or fear of heights. That fear is a reverence and an honor 
and a reality to say he is the king of everything. I am not the king. He is the king. And we don't take Jesus to be in a position of authority in our lives. And what happens? We then don't take our sin too seriously. I don't take my sin seriously if Jesus is just my homeboy. But when he's my king, it's a little different when he corrects me. Kind of like I, I told you, you saw in the video where I'm a coach for, for, for kids and I get parents involved. Parents love to be involved. It's awesome. Love to see dads and moms being involved with coaching their kids. But oftentimes at practice, you know what I do is I tell the kids or I tell the parents, you're not going to coach your kid. So I'll split them up into groups and I'll put one parent, I'll say, okay, you guys are going to switch because I don't want you coaching your kid. And I don't even coach my kid that often. You know why? Because to the kid, you're dad. To the kid, you're mom. To the kid, I can get away with murder. But to coach, I listen to coach. Isn't that interesting, right? I can correct one kid, and he's like, yes, coach. Well, whatever you say, coach, let's go. Run, 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 right? I correct my own kid, and they're like, why? And it's not just my kid. I watch it with every kid and every parent that helps out. And so often we'll switch them and flip, flip them around because they respond differently, and, and they view them beyond just dad or mom. And sometimes we got to focus on, on Jesus, and, and he is our Savior, and he is our forgiver, and he is our friend, but he's also our judge. Jesus is gracious, and yet he is firm. Scripture describes him as a lion and a lamb. And we need to respect, we need to honor, we need to see that kingship of Jesus and not just view Jesus as our get-out-of-jail-free card or Jesus is just going to make me feel better and make me all good and everything like that. No, i got to put Jesus in charge. And when I read that statement that Paul says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? It is this reminder to have this holy fear, reverence, and honor that Jesus is king and I am just a part of his kingdom. We are just part of his kingdom. It puts perspective onto this thing. And, and as we look at the sins listed in 9 and 10, this is quite the list, but we see this theme, I believe, of kingdom and kingship in that list of sins. Some of us look at it and we're like, wow, that is a gnarly list. I don't necessarily want to be a part of that list. But look at some of those sins and tell me you don't see kingdom and kingship in there. I want control over my body, so I'm going to do whatever and whoever I want. I want these possessions, so I will cheat and steal and lie and take because I'm building my security blanket, my kingdom. I want to medicate this pain and become numb, so I will drink to a point of oblivion to numb the pain, to escape the pain. I want control over that pain. I want to say whatever I want. I don't care who it hurts. I'm going to say, tweet, post, text, email, whatever I want about whoever I want because I matter and my feelings matter most. See, I think you could argue, you could look at that list of sins and you could argue that all of them deal with this idea of us building our own kingdoms our own control, being kings and queens of our own lives. But with that, what happens? We elevate ourselves to a throne of control and my will, my agenda, 
my power, my control, my honor, right? I'm in control, my choices. And we encounter a kingdom conundrum with Paul. And I like the sound of that, right? Kingdom conundrum. We spend our lives making ourselves the kings and queens of our lives, and then what happens? We die and we want to spend eternity with somebody else being king. Explain that to me. See the conundrum? I'm going to labor and work and do everything I can to build my kingdom and my security and my name and my reputation and my life, and I'm going to be a control, quote, me, 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 me. But when I die, Jesus, you are Lord. See the conundrum? I mean, it hit me this week. I'm like, I, 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 I can't reconcile that. I live my life for myself, but then when I die, I want to say, Jesus, you are the Lord and king of everything. And so Paul says this, and we have this reaction of, well, that seems rude that he would kick people out or ostracize or marginalize or outcast somebody because they aren't following an alignment. But what is he saying? He's saying, if you want to live your whole life where you are king and queen of your life, guess what? You'll get your wish. You want to live your whole life where Jesus is not the authority, not in charge, not the king of your life, guess what? Eternity, you're going to get what you want. I heard one pastor say it like this, eternity under the kingship of Jesus would probably feel like hell to somebody who spent their life trying to be their own king. Think about that. Eternity under the kingship of Jesus would probably feel like hell to somebody who tried to live their own kingship. But we have an opportunity in this conundrum. I, 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 you see, I, I could read that statement of Paul, sharpie it out of my Bible, and skip on to the next thing. Or I can allow that conundrum to rattle me to a point and realize, wait a second, I have an opportunity while I'm here on earth to experience what eternity is going to be like. I have an opportunity today to make Jesus the king of my life. Let him be in charge. And in doing so, there's things I'm going to have to give up. There's sacrifices I'm going to need to make. There's things I'm going to deny, things I'm going to give up as a follower of Jesus. And I will get a taste of heaven because eternity is going to be what? Jesus is Lord. And I can make Jesus Lord of my life, Lord of my finances, Lord of my sexuality, Lord of my family, Lord of my life. And in Paul's list, what do we see? We see areas of our life where we need to deny and sacrifice and give up things. If we're saying, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life, I'm going to have to give some stuff up. Look at that list, right? Again, we look at that list. That's not a shopping list I want to necessarily spend time focusing on and, and shopping from, right? Uh, some of us look at these things as checklists. Uh, I'll tell you what this isn't. This isn't a ranking. We look at lists sometimes, and it's a reminder that Sin needs to be treated as sin. Sometimes we read things as hierarchies or we evaluate sin as hierarchies. We rank big sins, little sins, major sins, evil sins, not my kind of sins. But Paul just kind of lumps all of this stuff together and says, like, man, there's a lot of brokenness in this church. A lot of people living for themselves. A lot of things you got to work on. And as Christians, I think we gotta, we, gotta, we gotta shift our perspective where we don't go through life saying, oh my goodness, that person is having a homosexual desire. They are gonna burn in hell. And then over here, we're gonna justify like, yeah, man, save all the money you can and be greedy and, and build your kingdom. We justify one sin and say, yeah, it's okay to 
make money and build your kingdom and get your security blanket and do all this, and we justify and come numb, and then we treat other sins as like, how dare you? You feel that tension in the church? Talk all you want. Smack people around with your words. That's excusable, but how dare you have a desire that is contrary to God's design? And we treat these things with this double standard. And Paul, when he gives this list, is not giving us a hierarchy or ranking, but he's just saying, man, we got to treat sin as sin. And, and sin is brokenness in our lives. And brokenness is going to lead to broken outputs, broken outcomes, broken habits. And he starts that passage in verse 9 by saying, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the male prostitutes, nor the homosexual offenders, nor the thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanders, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But he says, do not be deceived. We need to look at our sin through a lens of truth. We need to see our sin the way Jesus would see our sin. We need to distinguish between truth and deception, truth and lies. And we've, we've exchanged, as humans, we, we've exchanged truth for a distortion. We give up God's design, his understanding, his truth, and we embrace something that's defined by our culture or defined by our influencers or philosophers or our politics or the latest and greatest person that we wrote a book and, or read a book about. Right? And we allow that deception to become the thing that we transact. We, we exchange truth for lies. Romans says this. Think about the deception that we've bought into. We. I'm not, not saying you. I'm saying we have bought into this, okay? We've been, deceived, we've been deceived into thinking that our sexual identity is the most important part of who we are. That is a major theme. That how I identify sexually is the chief thing among me. The most important part of who I am is who I'm attracted to or how I identify. And our sexuality becomes the key factor in who I am as a person, my value, my significance. And it's true, I'm a, I'm a sexual, we are sexual beings. We have a sexuality. But that deception has caused us to focus on one part of our lives. And we miss the fact that there's so much more to who we are. You and I are children of God. That, that is our chief identity. You are a child of God, a son and daughter of God. You are part of God's family. Yes, your sexuality is a part of who you are, but it is not the most important part of who you are. It is a component of who you are. We've been deceived into thinking that, well, God made me with these cravings and these desires, so I must, it must be okay. Whether heterosexual or homosexual desires that you have, whatever it is, there's some desire that you've got, and we think, well, God must have made me this way, so it must be okay. I'm just a sexual addict. I'm just a person that is addicted to alcohol. I'm just a big talker. I'm just a greedy person. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, and God must be okay with it. And I would, I would wrestle with that because why would God design us? Why would God say, this is how I made you, but I'm going to tell you to change? Why would he clearly correct it? 
We've been deceived into thinking that our feelings are the guiding compass of our lives. How do you feel? That is a deception I believe we've been caught up into. That it's not the truth of Jesus and the gospel that becomes our defining compass and guiding compass. What is our guiding compass? Well, how do you feel about it? How does that make you feel? Do you feel wholeness? Do you feel peace? Do you feel good? And I'm a feeler, so I resonate with that deception. We've been deceived, though, into thinking that, gosh, I, I, I just don't feel like that could be right. I don't feel like this could be the best. And so I feel like I need to do this or live this or be this. Question, what if my feelings are wrong? What if my feelings are wrong? What if my feelings are not accurate to what is true? I can often feel in a way that is in opposition to the reality that I'm really in. Oh, that, that, that felt like a really hard conversation. And the other person's like, no, it wasn't. It was a good conversation. Oh, man, I felt like the Space Pandas performed a butt whooping on that other team. No, that was a closer game, you know? I, our feelings might be wrong. Not always, sometimes. But the deception is, let your feelings guide you. What do you feel is best? You do you. We can become deceived into thinking that you and I are the kings and queens of our lives. Isn't that the American dream? You're in charge. And we become so indoctrinated with this deception that we ignore and belittle or marginalize the authority that Jesus should have in our life as king. And the deception then manifests into those behaviors that he lists out. See, the behavior is just a symptom of what's going on below the surface. And I'm not going to sit here and explain every, every behavior that's listed out there. I think you can connect those dots. If you have questions, text them, and I'll answer those more in detail next week. But he gets into pretty clear some symptoms that happen when we are buying into a life of deception, when we exchange God's truth for lies, and those areas are, are, are things where we become deceived. And it's so much more than just our sexuality. It's various areas of our lives where sinful behaviors become symptomatic of a deeper heart issue. One of the deeper heart issues that I see in this is that our pursuit of personal freedom actually leads to personal captivity. Think about that. Think about these areas of sin. I want to do what I want. I want freedom to choose what I want to do and be the person in charge. I want that personal freedom to say and drink and do and experience. And we are motivated by this personal freedom, but... For many of us, I think we would agree that that personal freedom ends up leading us to a point of captivity. I want to be free to drink whatever I want to drink. And I'll tell you what, you become captive to those addictions. I want to watch whatever I want to watch. I want to say whatever I want to say. I want to do whatever I want to do. And I find it fascinating that these areas of our life where we want to be in control, we become captive. To those areas. We end up losing control in these various areas of our lives. Am I willing to give up control? Am I willing to give up being in control 
of that area of my life. Another heart issue that I see in that is that, that sin distorts our personal, our pursuit, excuse me, sin distorts our pursuit of authenticity into a false identity. We talked about identity a moment ago, but right? Sin will distort this idea. Uh, we, these behaviors, these habits, these addictions that become such an integral part of our lives, we allow them to define us. Well, that's just who I am. Some of them we celebrate. Well, this is who I am. Celebrate it. See who I am. I'm living my truest self, and this is who I am, man. I am just this. And we want everyone to know this is what I am. And then there's other things that we allow to define us, and we hide it. I don't want anyone to know. There are many things listed in that passage where you're like, if that was defining you, you're like, I don't want anybody to know that. And that's how you would kind of talk about I don't want to admit that I want to have an affair. I don't want to admit that I want to drink whatever I want to drink. I don't want to admit that I cheated people out of that money. I don't want to admit that I've got these desires and tendencies. Some of them we celebrate. Well, that's just who I am, and this is me. And blah, 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 blah. Some of them we hide. But what ends up happening, we, 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 we begin to buy into this distorted identity of who we are. What is most important? And am I willing to let Jesus define me rather than the behaviors? Rather than my feelings, rather than my desires? Am I willing to let Jesus define who I am? And I know as we're talking about this, some of us are, man, where's the good? This feels, this feels heavy. And I'll tell you, Paul ends this passage with such hope. We're not stuck. There is a solution. There is a fill valve waiting for you at Home Depot, right? And ready to exchange. But we have been living our lives jiggling the handles and, and trying to, and hitting the toilet and waiting for things to fix or just putting an out on order sign saying, well, this is just who I am and how it is. I'm stuck in this. And we throw up our hands. And Paul, at the very end of this passage, says, nah, there's something better for you. There's a solution that will bring life. He says, and that is what some of you were. But you, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is who you were, not who you are. That gives me hope. That gives me hope for all of us. That you know what? You might feel stuck in sin right now. You might feel stuck in desire. You might feel stuck in brokenness. You're like, Sean, I don't know what to do and how to get out of this or how to change this or what. What am I supposed to do to do differently? I can't, you know. And Paul is putting a mirror in front of them and saying, you need to see yourself for who you are, not who you were. How many of us wrestle with that? We're so busy looking at who we used to be. I struggle when I look in the mirror. Can I tell you that? Because I am going to tell you that. So even without your permission, I'm going to tell you. I look in the mirror and I see myself in a way of who I was. I look in the mirror, and for those that don't know, over the last year and a half, I've really been on a health journey. I've lost over 50 pounds in the last year and a half, almost two years. And I'll tell you, I look in the mirror, and I see who I was. I don't see who I am. It makes me emotional because I, it, it's a real example of, like, I, I struggle with what the Corinthian church struggled with. I turn food into my God. 
wasn't alcohol, it wasn't sex. I turned food into my God, and I was going to be in control of it. And there are times even now, 50 pounds lighter and, and healthier than I've been in a long time, healthiest I've been since I've been married, and I will look in the mirror, and all I see is who I was. I can't see the good. I can't see the fact that my clothes fit differently. I can't see that I've had to buy new clothes uh, because I needed new clothes. And my wife will have to play the part of Paul and tell me every once in a while, that's who you were. That's not who you are. She opens my eyes to see that I'm healthy and I'm thinner and I'm just in a better space in so many ways, emotionally. And my identity is not tied to my weight and my image. But she will allow me to see what I can't see. And I feel like that's what Paul's doing to the Corinthians right here. See who you are, not who you were. The gospel changes our identity. He takes us from broken to whole. We're not defined by our past. We're not defined by our regrets. We're not defined by our mistakes. We're not defined by our brokenness. Jesus came and defeated all sin on the cross. Let me say that again, all sin. So those of us that have hierarchies of sin, I'm like, I got big sins, Sean, and you got little sins. Nope, we got big sins. We got little sins, whatever. No, it's sin. Break the hierarchy up in your mind right now. It's sin, and Jesus died on the cross for all of it. And there are some of us that would sit here and we would deny that the gospel has that kind of power in our lives. I'll tell you what, what we're doing. Because I heard a pastor say this and it just rocked my world. He said, you're limiting the power of God in your life. To say that he could forgive their sin or their sin or their sin, but he can't forgive my sin. He can't change my identity. He can't welcome me into his family. And what does Paul say? You were washed, cleansed, purified. You were sanctified, right? Sanctified. You are set apart. You're holy now. You are pure in this way. You are part of his family. You're a part of his kingdom. Justified, right? You are not guilty. You are declared innocent. So Paul is putting the mirror up to all of the Corinthians and saying, that's who you were. You were broken. You were guilty. You were messed up. And you wanted to keep going back to it. Because that's comfortable and that's familiar and that's who we, who we were. And Paul's holding up the mirror to them and saying, no, nah, this is who you are in Jesus. Remember, he's talking to people who have made decisions to follow Jesus. And he's saying, you've been cleansed. You've been washed, sanctified, and justified. All of that happens because of the gospel, not because you're good at it, not because you cleaned yourself up enough and you applied three simple steps. No, the ultimate thing is that you change the fill valve on your tank, man, and that fill, va fill valve was the gospel. It was Jesus dying on the cross, raising from the dead to defeat the power of sin in your life, exchanging your kingdom for his kingdom. That's what today is about feeling stuck in sin, we've got to exchange my kingdom for his kingdom, my authority for his authority. Are there practical ways I need to do that and live that out and follow that? Yes, absolutely. 
But at the heart of it, that's what we're talking about. I need to swap my kingdom for the kingdom of Jesus. Anything else is just going to be a futile solution that will only temporarily jiggle the handle or turn the knob. But it won't work. And we're going to keep getting frustrated and keep giving up. So this morning, what we're going to do is just give you an opportunity to put Jesus first. I don't know your stories. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're hearing this and you're like, I'm yes, let's do it. Let's exchange. And some of you are resisting. And I don't know what your story is. I don't know what brokenness you're feeling. I don't know what feelings you're feeling. But can we, in a moment, just right now, we're just going to pray. We're going to give ourselves a chance to just have a conversation with Jesus and make a choice to put Jesus first in our lives. To seek his kingdom instead of our own. To, get, to make him the king rather than ourselves. I'm going to give you a moment wherever you're at, to just sit and have a conversation with Jesus. Put it in your own words, however you want to do it. Saying yes to putting Jesus first in your life. Take a moment. Have a conversation with Jesus. I know it feels awkward or different, but you know what? I think just be genuine. Be yourself. Jesus, we are broken people who find our wholeness in you. Your love, your sacrifice, your resurrection makes us whole. You know the stories, you know the moments, you know everybody in this room and everybody watching online, what we're walking in right now, the journeys that we're on, and I pray, Jesus, that you would be number one. You would be at the center of what we're doing, of what we're trying to live out. Help us to see ourselves the way you see us. Not who we were, but who we are. We are part of your family. We're forgiven. We're made new. We're more than conquerors. We are your kids. We're a part of your kingdom. I pray that you would be number one in our lives. We put you first. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, as we put you first and as we put you at the center of this conversation and this church, we believe that you will unite your church. There may be varying opinions and feelings and perspectives on these thematic topics of sexuality and sin and 
brokenness and, and behaviors and lifestyle choices and orientation, that we may differ in some of our understanding and our beliefs and our convictions on these things, but Jesus, we pray as a church, we would put you at the center and we begin to rally around you. Unite your church, Jesus, around you. Not around me, not around feelings and opinions. God, we rally around the gospel, your good news that has so transformed us. Be at the center of this church. In your name we pray. Amen. If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.